I'm Jess O'Cullaghan, and welcome to the AudioCraft podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded on the lands of the Darug people and on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. In this feed, you'll find all the recordings from the 2020 AudioCraft Podcast Festival, keynotes, workshops, and under-the-hood sessions like this one. When it's done well, collaboration can change the entire scope of a project and audio-making objectives. For this year's Under the Hood, we have three amazing podcast collaborations share all of their learnings from their unique alliances. In this episode, you'll hear from the makers of Bird's Eye View, a podcast co-created with women in the Darwin Correctional Centre. Johanna Bell and Rocket Bretherton called in from Darwin to share all their insights from this amazing storytelling journey. Yeah, um, I want to acknowledge um, that we are here on Larrakia country, uh, the home of the first storytellers here. We pay our respects to elders, past, present and future. Um, yeah. <laughs> and a big sing out to all other um, First Nations people who are in the audience um, and also acknowledging the countries on which you work. Uh, today we're going to be talking about how we work together to make Bird's Eye View. Um, for those of you who haven't heard the podcast, um, it's a 10-part magazine-style podcast that takes you inside Sector 4, which is the women's section of Darwin Prison. Um, bit of background is about, what, like 1,100 people in the prison, yep. and the maximum number that you can get in there for women is 80. So it's Oh, a, no, there's been up to 85, but... it's supposed to hold only 80. Um, you know, it's a weird setup. It's women in a men's prison. Um, but Bird's Eye View was a, a community arts development project um, and it was created over two years and involved, I think, more than about 70 women all up. But there was a core team of just over 20 women on the inside and a really small team of producers and a couple of musicians on the outside. But the best way to sort of illustrate the sound is to play a clip Hopefully you've already heard Bird's Eye View anyway. <laughs> if not, um, this is the trailer. Kate's going to play it for us. I never meant to be here. It was about 4.30 in the morning. It was raining. I heard my little brother calling out, help me. Helped me cause the sprayed him with a pepper spray. And then I just ran back, got the stick, and I whacked the police officer. I got put in the back of a paddy wagon. And I remember sitting there cross-legged in the back, thinking, oh, fuck. This is my seventh time in this jail. And then Brisbane jail, I've done two sentences as well. Brisbane's my favourite. You get a better choice of women there. <laughs> but this time around, it's different. I gave my loyalty to the wrong people. Here in Darwin Correctional Centre in Sector 4, we've got a flock full of corallas, and they always call out. <coughs> we've got the kulu, white cockatoo, eagle, owl, goose, black crows, plovers. And they're so annoying because they only scream out loud when we get locked down. When I see the birds in Sector 4, I think, why the fuck are you in here? Bird's Eye View. A podcast made with women in the Darwin Correctional Centre. Launching on International Women's Day, March 8th. Put it in your diary and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Um, so you've got a bit of a sense of um, the sound 
there but what we really wanted to do before we start speaking about collaboration is to take you into sector four um so rocker if um you're able to describe just what it it's like in prison like average day yeah every day is pretty much the same it's yeah like groundhog day stuff all to do um can't be too happy i think you taking drugs or you know uh, you can't cry they'll put you at risk um you can't run they think you're escaping <laughs> uh you can't be loud and i'm a really loud person so you know <laughs> i'm forever in trouble in there um you get absolutely no say over what's happening in your life like you can make one phone call every hour um you know you, you can only ring certain people you can only speak to certain people you know it's just yeah you get, you've got no say over your life um what you eat what you wear how you move when you go to the toilet how much water you can use we're only allowed so many flushes it's not somewhere where you can just be you um it's not somewhere you want to be uh all you are is a number and um yeah um it's extremely dehumanizing extremely Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's really, really dehumanising. Um, it's not a place where you get to make any decisions for yourself. All your decisions are made for you. And, yeah, it's it's just shit place. And I just want to do a shout-out to the girls now who are sitting in Sector 4 still. Um, yeah, shout-out to Sector 4. <laughs> you can see from uh, what Rocket was saying is that it's a place of immense deprivation. And it's the sort of place where people aren't actually used to having a lot of control. So big question for us was how do you actually share creative control in a place where everything is working against women having control over their lives? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The, the, the short answer is with great, great difficulty. difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> um, the long answer is much more interesting. Um, but just quickly, I just wanted to talk a few, about a few terms. We don't really, I mean, we do say collaboration, but we call this a co-created podcast. And that's because we see it as being co-conceived, co-edited and co-promoted. Like we don't do any stuff on the outside unless there's a woman with a lived experience of incarceration. Um, and those words, co-conception, co-edited and co-promoted are really meaningful now. Um, but that's because we're two years down the track and we know what it looks like and it wasn't like that when we first walked in. Um, Leah Sanderson, who's one of the producers and I, when we first walked into Sector 4, and I've got to confess that I'd actually never been in a prison before I started working on this project. But when we worked it, walked in together and we said, okay, we're going to start working together on an audio storytelling project, <laughs> we got some pretty sceptical looks. I was just like... Yeah, I remember when they first walked in and said that, gave us their idea. I was like, yeah, fucking sure. As if, oh, am I allowed to swear? As, as if they're going to like allow a podcast from the jail. So I had no belief whatsoever that it was actually going to happen. Um, yeah, they kept talking about a collaborative process, but I didn't actually believe it would be collaborative. I didn't think that I would get a say like, you know, I thought they're going to record me. I'm going to say the wrong thing. It's going to go out there to all the people. And, you know, I'm going to sound like they're just going to make me sound like a fucking idiot. Um, it wasn't until the, um, I got to listen to my story at the end and they asked me if I wanted to change anything. And then I realised I was going to, oh, my God. And then I, and then I realised I was going to get a good say like how it turned out. And, you know, I made a lot of edits. Like I had a lot of say with my story um like more than most 17 <laughs> versions when she says oh when i got to store see my story at the end she really means when i got to see my story yeah, at the end. <laughs> six months into a two-year project which was then another 18 months of edits um but like that's the thing about collaboration and i can't stress this enough is you can't really talk about collaboration in words you can but it doesn't really carry meaning it's what you do and it's how what happens in your actions and the first sort of cornerstone of the way we worked um, which was this slow storytelling method was to spend a fair bit of time building trust um, you can imagine i don't know do you want to mention what how much trust there is in an average day in prison <laughs> yeah like 
trust no one. Everyone, you know, everyone's out to get you. Um, you can be sitting, having lunch with someone and then like after lunch, you know, they're over there telling your worst enemy exactly what you are just saying. And, you know, they, 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 there's no trust. Like, um, yeah, I don't trust anyone. I never have, never will. Not never will because I do now. <laughs> but um, when they first come in, I was just like, oh, my God, yeah. And they build up their trust over time, yeah. And it had a lot to do with, like, not having mics in first up, sitting around talking, um, sharing parts of our own story. Um, I know Leah and I were both really candid about things that had happened in our lives. Um, I think a big breakthrough was when the women said, uh, can you try and bring in some biscuits for these <laughs> sessions? And I was like, I don't have permission to bring in biscuits. I've got this, like, list with everything signed off. And they're like, go on. So I got some Tim Tams and I got them in. And that was like we'd been sent through, the like, the first hoop and we jumped and we'd made it. And, um, and then we started bringing the mic in, just one mic, a little Zoom, um, people mucking around. We weren't worried about, like, um, mic handling noise. We weren't really worried about the tape. It was just what is this thing and how can everyone have, have a go? Um, Getting us used to the, yeah. Yeah, and, and there was a whole bunch of Corellas, which I'm a bit of a bird nerd for people who um, know me, and I couldn't help noticing this huge flock of Corellas and they're really cheeky and the women were always, like, sharing stories about um, what had happened and with, with the birds. And so we got on the mic, we were sharing all these bird stories and, and then this story came up about... Um, this plover, you guys know banded lapwing, those ones there, they've got the spurs on their elbows or wings and they're really protective of their baby. And a little baby plover had fallen down a drain and the women were telling this story about how they spent the whole afternoon. It was actually a three-day process trying to get that bird out. Oh, <laughs> three days. I've got, I've got the details wrong. But they were, they were using cobwebbers and um, brooms and all sorts of things to try and get this tiny little chick and this thing just looks like a fluffy golf ball on stalks and um finally they rescued it and they were so proud and when they told that story I thought they're not really telling a story about I mean they were telling the story about the bird but they were telling another story as well which was the lengths that they would go to to protect their children and it really opened up this metaphor about birds yeah, we played a game where we all had to describe ourselves as a bird and explain why we'd picked that one. I um I chose the eagle because like the eagle is the boss of the sky. He sits up there cruising around, checking everyone out, looking for his prey. You know, just waiting to strike. And yeah, I love the eagle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you've seen Rocker operate in um in prison she does have that kind of boss woman <laughs> feel about her um but one of the challenges that i hadn't anticipated was that some of the women inside wouldn't know what a podcast was i had no idea i'm like podcast what <laughs> and people who'd been in a serving long sentences or people who didn't have access to smartphones like you know it's a relatively new form and then all the things that you use to try and explain what a podcast is like oh, it's kind of like Netflix but for your ears or, you know, it's radio on demand, radio in your pocket. It just didn't really make sense to long, like pe women serving long sentences. So um, the first hurdle, I think, was to get what what I call enough knowledge. Um, I think one of the misnomers in co-creation or collaboration is that everyone has to be equal all the time and um, that's certainly sometimes what drives the self-determination model and it's not that you all have to know everything it's all, that you all have to have enough knowledge to move forward together and so um we brought in um po uh, an episode of ear hustle and one of um radio diaries which had a prison focus and we all listened and that kind of gave sort of enough of an idea about what was possible um and the the potential that was out there but in terms of co-conception the real breakthrough moment for me anyway came um, can you put it up? um anyway this breakthrough moment came about three months into the project we'd done our trust building people were sort of feeling a bit more uh familiar and comfy with the mics we hadn't brought the recording kit in and also yet. that we got to know leah and yo as people and not as 
the enemy. Like we realised that they weren't working with the screws. They were, you know, they were just, they were on our side, you know, they weren't dogs. <laughs> and we were in the library, which is the only space that doesn't have cameras. cameras. <laughs> the women told me that it did have recording equipment, but I'd been told it also didn't have, a, like it wasn't bugged. So yeah, it was a sort of a safe space in that way that people could say things inside the room that didn't leave the room was different being in the yard. Didn't leave the room and went all over the world. <laughs> but eventually, but I mean the, the early stuff didn't like yeah. go into the corrections headquarters. Um, but anyway, we had this session. This was the breakthrough for me in terms of the co-conception moment. We're big newspaper. I'd managed to get in like these big, fat, colourful chalk markers into the prison and we had a brainstorm session and the question was, what do you think that people on the outside think of you like as women in prison. And the list was pretty confronting. Yeah, there was some pretty like she stuff on there. Like, um, you know, it's a lot, there was a lot, a lot of negative stuff, you know, um, like um, a failure, um, you know, I, can't really think of a lot of them right now. Oh, I can. There was, you know, some can't be repeated, but, you know, like horrible terms, you know, junkie, slut, yeah. or worthless, waste like, of space. Waste of space, yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it, was, it was really like, you know, and it, it is what people say about us and it is, you know, how we're thought of, like, because we're just prisoners and that's what people think prisoners are. They're just, you know, um, there's a massive... Uh, conception that prisoners are just pieces of shit and you know they're not people they don't have you know and it all sort of I think what came out was that the women believed that everyone thought that they were worthless and irredeemable and um then we got luckily we had a second piece of cardboard <laughs> we got this second piece of cardboard and I said okay we'll just write down some stuff that um you don't think other people hear already know about you and I just remember reading the list and being kind of super surprised because alongside the things that I was expecting like um you know mother daughter lover hard worker there were also things like there was a woman who had a helicopter license there was a professional photographer a state champion show jumper um a lead singer in a women's rock band a um, multilingual interpreter and one of the women actually had a miniature pony at home. Mm -hmm. This was way before Arnie Schwarzenegger made like miniature ponies and donkeys famous. This was a miniature pony that would like come inside and watch TV and it, this list was just so nuanced and human and fascinating and it really, it really highlighted the contrast between stereotypes and that single narrative versus the reality of the women in the room. And, and that's when we got to this, the, the kind of critical part of the project, I think, and the critical part of the... the yeah. And we, like, we asked three questions. Um, uh, who are we really? How did we get here? And where to next? Um, and I don't know about for you, Rocket, but for me it was like someone had just turned the lights on, like... Suddenly all the work we'd done beforehand and all the tape that I knew was coming and there was going to be shitloads of it was going to hang off a skeleton. And I could, I could see what, what was possible because I'm quite a structured person and I get a bit anxious when I don't have a framework and it had been very uncomfortable terrain prior to that. But what was it like for you when you actually had like a framework of sorts? What do you what do you mean like like the three questions what did um, they yeah i i i i wasn't in the session oh <laughs> I wasn't in the session probably in I'd my have, security i had a visit oh. <laughs> <laughs> i had a visit so i missed that session but i come in like at the end um of when we're writing all the stuff but then i i missed the next sessions <laughs> then and that's actually one of the really big challenges of working in a prison is a lack of continuity of access to women so first of all we only went in once a week or first of all it was fortnightly then it was once a week and we only had a couple of hours and all sorts of things would stop us from maximizing those couple of hours like 
Sometimes there were surprise lockdowns. Or and we code, yellow, code yellow prisoner fight. So, you know, we all get locked down in our pods. Um, you know, there, there was a lot. And if these guys were coming through the gate and there was a code yellow or a code, any sort of code, then there's no movement within the prison whatsoever. So these guys, we're, we're sitting at the pathway waiting, come on, come on, where are they? And um, because there's no movement in the prison, they're stuck outside, can't even get in the prison um, until the code's clear. And sometimes it can take 40 minutes for a code to clear. Yeah, and the other one time we turned up and um, they hadn't told us because no one, you know, the communication's a bit non. <laughs> um, we turned up and there was apparently a plumber, like there was a male in the sector, so all the women had been locked down and we couldn't run our program just because there was a bloke fixing a drain somewhere. So there was a lot of interruption, which I, you know, which found I found really challenging. But I think one of the really big breakthroughs was when we got to the co-editing process. Yeah. Um, when I think about the editing process, like, you know, it it was, um, yeah, it, it was different for everyone, but for me, the main steps were uh, like um, interviews, listening back and saying what changes you wanted, which was freaking heaps. Like, and you know, some thinking about what was missing and doing pickups because I was like, oh no, I didn't add that, and that really needs to go in there. And um, and then like re-listening and re-listening and and doing more changes, more changes. Uh, yeah, it took months. Um, and then like uh, version uh, sixteen, I was like. Oh no! You, this has to change. This is wrong, and I, that. And Yo's like, no, it uh, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, uh, it does. It might not matter to you, but it's really important to me because it was saying like, you know, all my foster families were bad, but they weren't. There was one really, really good foster family, so I I couldn't let it go out and let my good foster family hear that all foster families were bad because it would have just made me feel shit if they thought <laughs> I thought they were bad because they were so amazing <laughs> yeah and I think that's a really good example like we're at the very tail end of a very long like maybe we're, we're talking almost 18 month like process at that point or maybe a bit less um and and Rocket wants this tiny change made that she's heard like I don't know how many times beforehand and not picked up on. And I was like in this really difficult position as the executive producer trying to manage the budget, the resources, the rest of the team's time, um, the number of hours that Cinnamon Nippard, um, our producer, and Hamish Robertson from Tall Tale Audio in Darwin put in, in like free um was just but incredible like, i have adhd so when i was listening sometimes if there was like something shiny over there then i'd stop listening and go over there and be like oh yeah yeah oh yeah my podcast yeah i'm listening like i'm doing it now when yo's talking i'm like oh yeah yeah oh yeah i'm okay i'm here <laughs> <laughs> um so for me i was like oh this doesn't make a difference for listeners like it, it makes a really big difference for the team but rocket was losing sleep over that particular change and in the end you know, obviously it was the right thing to do. But um, I think the thing to point out is that collaboration is not always comfortable and sharing creative control can actually, um, in fact, if it's not uncomfortable, you're probably not doing it properly. Um, and Rocket and I certainly had a few run-ins. We had a bit of argy-bargy. I remember Rocket saying to me at one stage, if I knew you on the outside, we wouldn't be friends. <laughs> In other words, like don't, you know, <laughs> don't push me, don't push me. Um, but I think it's important and what I wanted to be really candid about is not just the glossy stuff but where we actually came a bit unstuck and, and the stuff that was really difficult. So, you know, do you want to have a chat and I'll chime in about just when you shared your story, like some of the things that were hard a lot of the things that i spoke about in the podcast and like you got to know there was probably so many hours that didn't make it in so mm -hmm. I, the, you only got like a little snippet of what made it in and some of the things that i had spoken about in the podcast i'd never spoken about like i'd never i'd never verbalized them so oh getting a bit emotional <laughs> um i was working with a psych at the time and it was really good like um like it was it helped me so much um deal with some of my traumas that you know maybe I should, should have visited 
like ages ago. Yeah, it was good to be working with a psych at the time. I, I think if I wasn't working with my psych, then yeah, I don't know what would happen. <laughs> and I think that's a good point to make is that producers who are working with people with complex trauma, it's really important to have the scaffolding there, both within your team and outside for the storytellers and also the team members because vicarious trauma and burnout and adrenal fatigue are real and they can stop a project. They certainly halted this project for a little while. But, you know, in terms of your actual content in your story, we did come up against something that nearly made you yeah, back off altogether. I was, was going to pull my whole story because they said that I couldn't identify the perpetrator in my story and I'm like, well, fuck you, stick your story up your ass. Yeah, I was really pissed off about, you know, I'm like, well, that's my story, you know, like um, I don't want to de-identify the perpetrator. It, it, it takes the whole bones out of my story. But then uh, Leah brought in what they had done and she goes, here, have a listen to this and just tell me what you think. I wasn't going to listen to it, but I was like, oh, okay, I'll listen to it. <laughs> so I listened to it and I was like, oh, actually, that's really good. I'm oh, glad I had this idea. <laughs> it, it, it didn't change my story and it's sort of like, I mean, I mean, most I think most people would probably think know who it was anyway. And then when that person listened to it, I guess, like I was really worried about that, I guess that person thought he got off sort of. <laughs> it was, a, you know, again, with the producer hat on, we had these legal considerations. We had to have every story legal. Um, and there were defamation risks for the storytellers and and for story projects, and they were real. And it was a it was a really difficult point because what you've done is built up for like six months this you know trust and skills and knowledge. You've done in depth interviewing. You've done you know co edited paper edits, co edited audio edits, and then you get to the point where you legal it and you realize, oh shit, I've got to go back and say to this person, sorry, but you can't say this. So it was it was sort of it at felt, odds with the way that we'd worked. It felt to me like they were saying that they didn't believe that that had happened, um, like the lawyer, whoever looked at it, didn't believe that it had happened and I've got no proof of this that it happened. And, I mean, like I could have named 20 people or five people that witnessed this sort of stuff of me growing up, but it, it yeah, it really pissed me off that, you know, they were worried about, it going to court and getting sued for whatever. And I was like, well, how can they when they, when this actually happened to me? Like, it's not lying. It's not, you know, it's... And we tried to make it really clear that it wasn't a, like a lack of belief in Rocket's story, but it was a lack of evidence at hand for us because we went through court records and things to try and make sure that we could find... It was pretty hard to find 20-year-old, <laughs> 20, 30-year-old. A lot of... Um, violence happens unseen and unwitnessed and unrecorded and so this is just one example of lots of challenges and every every woman's story had its own sort of bundle of challenges that we worked through in a different way but I, I suppose what I was interested in asking Rocket is how did you know because we did get up to version 17 how did you know that it was ready the story that this is the one that's going to go out to the world I still didn't believe it would get approved well you know, I was happy with it, you know, and like looking looking back at my story and now that everyone, you know, hundreds of people, I mean thousands, I mean hundred thousand? hundred and ten thousand people. <laughs> hundred and ten thousand so people have downloaded it and I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. I'm really happy with how it come across. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't change anything because that's my story. I mean the only thing I would change is why didn't you put the rest of my story in? <laughs> well, I, I mean, the reality is it could have been the rocket show. Yeah, and um, our podcast. <laughs> and we hope that that might happen in the future. We hope um, kind of like Kitchen Cabinet but with rocket interrogating people. Um, one of the challenges was making sure that all the voices had space inside the podcast. And because we'd kind of originally thought... Um, that it might be a host-led podcast, like that seemed like the obvious choice and we, we were big fans of Ear Hustle. Rocket was a kind of natural fit for one of those roles. But we learned through the collaboration process that it would squeeze out too many of too much of the diversity and what we what our what we were about was answering the question, who are we really? And who are we really was a diversity, it was plurality, it was 
multiple voices, multiple accents, different ages. Um, I just really wanted to chat quickly about slow storytelling. So when I say slow storytelling, it's a it's a term I use. It probably exists out there as well, but it's a, a method that really um, means you don't have tight deadlines. And that was the real gift here was that having a lot of time made a really big difference. So when Rocket was redshirted and she went into high security for two and a half months, we didn't have access to her. We didn't have any way of like doing edits. Yeah. Know, and we ended up having to put in a special request so that we could do that final kind of. They had the lockdown. 17. They had the lockdown. The, the 70 other women or 75 other women in the jail and let me walk out and walk into a little room. And then it was ridiculous. And I was actually redshirted, like high security, because my mum gave me a lolly at visits and it was a lolly, like 100% on my brother's grave, it was a lolly that she gave me. Yeah. But what it did allow was because we had time, we could wait the two and a half months till we got to speak to Rocket again. And in the meantime, we'd go up, we'd ask for permission to go up to higher security to speak through the grill, um, which was pretty fun. Um, <laughs> but it also that slow storytelling and that, um, the time allowed us to do things like um, Naomi, who was one of the women who was super shy in the beginning. She used to just dissolve into this sort of pile of giggles. Like she actually melted into the carpet. It took about six weeks, I think, till she said anything in the mic. And then at the 10 week mark, she, she came up and whispered to me. She said, I want to tell my story. And then she was able to listen and she was able to add extra in um, and it also meant that women started getting um, quite confident with the audio gear. If we'd gone in, grabbed tape, come out and had to be really speedy, we wouldn't have had this moment in the collaboration where women just started freestyling on the mics. And that's actually probably, we came up with all these really surprising segments and we just, what we did was just follow the direction that women took the audio in. And this is one example. It's one of my favourites. It's the Salty Plum um, Beauty Hacks segment, which you might have heard. Kate's going to play us a little bit and I'm going to wave at her when she needs to stop it. Salty Plum Lips. Tastes like candy, helping us look mighty dandy. <laughs> Every weekend we have sport and we want to look good for the guys. And all us women, we use salty plums. Salty plums are dried salty plums that have a prune-like shape and they have red dye on them. And we use them as a lipstick and we put it on our lips. I've noticed that some of the girls actually have allergies to the salty plums, so their lips are quite big after they've used it for the weekend. I've got the wrong skin tone for orange. So I've used to um, soak my pencil, my brown pencil, in warm water before I'd go to court the night before. And I'd use two. I'd use a, a, a pink and a light brown. So it made a really nice dusky pink, which was um, just a bit darker than skin tone. And I used to mix that with my vitamin E cream. The officers didn't pick up on it because it, was, it didn't stand out, but it was still a subtle difference. And I use baby powder to um, just take the shine and oil off my skin. Black pencil for a little bit of eyeliner and the brown pencil just to colour my eyebrows and shape them a little bit. The other thing I did was um, with the black pencil, I used to um, rub that between my fingers with vitamin E cream and I'd stain my eyelashes. And that's the best I could do um, to try and fix my face um, for my Supreme Court date. We tried all all kinds of things on the mics, like like we done spoofy weather reports, book reviews, like how to how to judge a book by its cover, conversations, like beatboxing, celebrity interviews, horoscopes. Like we done a week fix ad, um, a tampons ad. Um, yeah, here here's one of the Holtz horoscopes that come from mucking around on the mics. Holtz horoscopes with your friendly prison psycho. Psychic. Gotta get that right, don't I? Capricorn. You're in a great mood 
and you're raring to go at just about anything, then you realise you're in jail. Your physical energy is high at the muster call because you know there is a soggy sandwich with your name on it. Don't give up. You might want to take a short trip to the office and back. Embark on a new course. Instead of going left and all the way around, go right. The sky is the limit. Also, the fence is your limit. And no running. Tuck your shirt in. We ended up with heaps of moments like that. Um, so many, so many that it kind of obvious that we weren't making a straight storytelling podcast anymore and had morphed into something else. And that's when we started talking about a magazine style podcast. And it opened up this whole new way of working where we came up with ideas about stuff that I like to try on the mics. It was really good. Like, and it was, we, we went with that for a long time. And as, as you can imagine, we just ended up with so much con content. So after six months of just following women's leads, and editing their stories with them and experimenting, the quantity of tape just started to get a little bit out of control. And um, thankfully, um, we were working with the wonderfully patient and very skillful producer, Cinnamon Nippard. Um, she's part of Audiocraft's agency. And um, she and I got together face to face when I was down in Sydney visiting family. And we had a shitload of post-it notes in this picture, but running left-hand side with it episodes and there were 10 of them and then running across was like all the different segments that we thought might fit in the themes and those themes had come from things that women had come up with what, what yeah like family work love faith revenge shame survival some of them which made them into the titles of the um podcasts uh, First time I've seen that. <laughs> yeah well this is the thing is not everyone saw this particular version because we had to neaten it up a lot before we took it back inside and when we actually when we took it back inside was I not there you were in rehab oh. yeah <laughs> so not everybody saw every single part of the production process because they were in and out of prison all the time it, look the process was pretty chaos um but it was you know, it worked out in the end and what we did was build each episode from, sorry, each segment and then we'd take it into the prison, women would let, listen, they'd okay and we'd sign off on the segment, we'd bring it up and we'd put it into the episode like a puzzle and then the soundscaping came underneath when we worked with the wonderful Katie Baker and James Mungo Higgs who did the theme music and worked on that with the women as well. So I think um, we're pretty much coming out of to time. questions. Yeah, let's do questions. Woo! I'm going to start building some of the questions and I think it would be really nice for you guys to see some faces here. But we also had a really good question, Rocket, for you from Rudy Bremer, who's a producer here. Um, and she was asking you about, like, what was the most interesting part of the podcasting process for you and are you planning to stay in the podcasting space beyond Bird's Eye View? So maybe do you want to share any of your podcast plans with us? Well, you know, I'd love to, but I don't have the the resources um, to do that. So, if you want to sponsor me, yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like doing the uh, playing around with all the equipment and that. Uh, when they would bring all, all the equipment in, I'd, I'd be like, um, I'll set it up doo -doo 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 -doo, and set it yeah. up and pack it up. And I really like stuffing around with the audio stuff. It's really cool. I don't like my own voice, and I hate looking at myself on camera. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I like playing around with all the stuff. But we have had a few, like, so Rocket did want to make Bird's Eye View 2 and we did talk about, well, what happened following the women once they get out of prison and following up on, like, a couple of key stories with, a, with Rocket as a host. The reality is, like, you know, obviously these projects need a lot of funding. That two-year project was co-funded by the Northern Territory Government with extra, like, Funding that I needed to get um, typing. Uh, uh, through the Australia Council for the Arts um, and a couple of not-for-profit. So, you know, you can imagine the sort of budget that went in. And I think Rocket is like Rocket is wonderful to work with. She's super great on and off script. <laughs> on oh, yeah. And so, yeah, she just 
needs the right collaborator. Fancy me saying we wouldn't be friends on the outside. Fancy that. <laughs> We've got Alice Golds is here. Hi. Thanks so much for this session, by the way. What an amazing project. I can't wait to listen to your own show, Rocket. Like, you're a superstar. Love you. But my first question was, um, what was the pitching process like with the correctional facility? And how did you actually get the idea off the ground? Um, I run a project up here called Spun, which is sort of modelled on the moth, which came out of New York. It's live personal storytelling and it's also a podcast spun stories the northern territory government actually approached me to see if i wanted to run spun in the prison because they saw it as a way um, of working with prisoners around storytelling um, and self-reflection and part of a bigger kind of behavioral change health promotion um, initiative around reducing alcohol related alcohol related risk really and um, my experience working cross-culturally has been that, like, you know, standing up in front of an audience for shy people is really not inclusive. Um, and I knew there'd be language and literacy challenges. And, and so I pitched back to them, well, what about a, an audio storytelling project instead? It was just an audio storytelling project on paper to them. Oh. And it wasn't <laughs> until everyone knew what a podcast was that it was going to be a podcast. <laughs> It was really hard. Like, it's a place where everything has to be signed off. Like, every single SD card, cord, battery has to be approved in advance of coming in. Most of the content that we listened to was heard through a carry an old karaoke machine um, because we didn't have access to the internet, we didn't have access to computer. Um, so we'd be there with like these flashing disco lights, and this <laughs> terrible quality sound, trying to listen mm -hmm. to like last edits of of the podcast what we'd agreed to was a, in writing early on was a sign-off process by the head of the prison the general manager called the superintendent his name was kevin raby when we started the project and he was really really supportive of the project which made a big difference there was a history we'd had a really wonderful documentary called prison songs made in the old prison which i recommend trying to see if you can and it was a, a sort of it used it a lot of parody for storytelling and it was way more risky than what we did and that had got through so i sort of felt hopeful that it was possible then kevin raby left and a whole new guard yeah, came in. Wanker. Shh, what okay <laughs> um we got another the sentiment person. the sentiment changed and we had to go through the whole process again but what we did agree to was that corrections would sign off on every single episode in advance of it going public. And this meant that we did not include a whole bunch of content that was raised concerns about mis uh, misappropriation of power inside the prison system or- And it'd be good to do a podcast that we wasn't, you know, we didn't have to worry about what we were saying about our prison time. Um, but I think the reason it got through was because we were clever, we stuck to the story and we didn't make it a political exercise, but actually anything that comes out of a prison is a political exercise. I mean, so. if you've heard the, the episode about the periods, I mean, you know, I, we didn't think that would make it through. We, you know, there, I didn't think there was any chance of that making it through, but I, I actually doubt that they even listened to the final version. No, I know that they listened. <laughs> um, because there were, I won't go into details, but everything got signed off. And then there was a big hiccup three days before we were to go live. <laughs> I was asked to pull down a project and I just was conveniently working out Bush. <laughs> really? At that time? I know. <laughs> I it was didn't know that. <laughs> and they couldn't get through to me. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, I won't go into any she more She hasn't detail. told me this. <laughs> it was very, very. I love you. <laughs> it was very, very, very stressful. Next question. Hey, Adam. Hey, Adam from Wavelengths. I loved uh, this session and, um, you know, I, I found it particularly interesting how you were talking about slow storytelling. But for me, two years is a really, really long time on a single project. Mm -hmm. My question is, how did you maintain stamina over a two-year She didn't. 
<laughs> that is a really wonderful question. And I, the answer is I didn't. Um, I, like, to be very candid, I got terribly burnt out about 12 to 18 months into the, about 18 months into the project. And I actually, um, I think I retrospectively think I probably had some vicarious trauma from all the tape that I'd heard that didn't make it into the podcast. And I, um, and also just a realization about how broken the system was and some real sadness and very deep grief, plus some grief about what, what women went through when they got out um, because I stayed in touch with them. I've actually, it was a period where I found it very difficult, difficult to go to the prison. So I, I had to get some external supervision. Thanks, mate. I'll give you a which, cuddle, buddy. <laughs> which I kind of wish that I'd had early on. So I'd recommend for people starting a long project that you set it up so that you've got, it doesn't have to be ex paid external supervision, although that's what I did end up getting, but a group that agrees to be with you over that period who are like your sounding boards because when you're working with personal stories and particularly personal stories where the playing field isn't very even, the amount of the weightiness of the responsibility of getting those stories right and doing representing those voices appropriately and the way that they want to be represented is very heavy. So I would, I suppose, in a nutshell suggest some sort of comrades up up front that aren't necessarily part of the story. The other thing that, uh, sorry, the project. And then also wor working in a team. So again, Cinnamon Nippard, Leah Sanderson and Hamish Robertson really helped me through some of those bits. But also the thing that I had was the camaraderie of the women in prison. So the supervisor I got ended up saying, you need to go back into the prison and you need to fess up to the women about your fears. When she said vicarious trauma to me, I was like, oh, my God, you fucking sook. I still don't know. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> I was like, vicarious trauma, fucking sook. Grow up. And then, you know, I started thinking about it. And oh, at this, like, thinking about this actually kept me up for, you know, at night because I was thinking and then I thought, well, you know, if she'd heard... Yeah, and, and I started believing it more and more. And then, you know, as, as like, I've got to know her pretty well now on the outside. And, yeah, now I understand vicarious trauma. <laughs> well, <laughs> not know, a fucking soup, but, you know. <laughs> for people who've experienced the trauma for, firsthand, they're probably like, what? You know, we just told you about it. You didn't go through it. But the, the thing is that the team carried me through. I did go back in. I spoke to the women about my concerns and fears. And they were really helped el elate. And the main one was, what if we make this thing and it doesn't get signed off? I can't control that. Mm. And they said to me, we won't blame you. We know it won't be your fault. And I actually felt like an immediate, you know, weight lifted. So sorry, that's a very long answer to say. <laughs> I don't have all the answers, but it, it's about being able to share the responsibility I think it's interesting too because there's been questions like coming up in the in the chat about your experience, your personal experience as well, Rocket, in terms of like sharing your story like this for the first time and working with Yo through all those different edits. Did things kind of change or shift for you on the emotional journey? It'd be kind of good to hear your perspective on the other side of it too. Oh, sorry, can you repeat the question? Sorry. Just wondering what your emotional journey was as well, like when Yo's talking about the impact had on her how was it for you when when the project was all done signed like not done signed but i had finished my re recording parts so i was like you know and it just sort of left me and i just forgot about it um sort of and then it wasn't until like i started doing pickups and stuff um on the outside with yo and getting paid yay <laughs> um yo gave me like i'm, I'm sure she just um like wanted to give me some money <laughs> but yo gave me a few sessions where i'd do pickups and stuff um and then i was starting to think um like it was then i was starting to get a little bit uh you know uh scared i guess mm -hmm. um and then close to re release date like a month out maybe three weeks out i was starting to get like lose it like couldn't sleep at night and then like the week before international women's day when it was released i was like like 
full anxiety and I'm like, everybody's going to hate me. Like, oh, my God, I can't. Why have I done this? What a fucking idiot. And, like, I had, I had reconnected with the perpetrator of my story and, like, uh, at the time we, we weren't in communication or whatever. And so I had to break it to that person that, you know, podcast is going to drop, bro. <laughs> um, mate. Um, so uh, that was probably maybe the worst because my I was just so scared. I was so scared. And what about, about his reaction? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so it, it brought up heaps of heaps of shit when it when it when it did drop and it was received really well i was like so happy i was just like <sighs> but the main thing is like the, as soon as it dropped i emailed it to the perpetrator of my story and um he he wrote back he messaged me and he goes well uh we we have different um different interpretations and i i, I the conversation I had with him before was, this is my story. It's not your story. This is my story and this is my interpretation of my life and how I grew up. You're probably not going to agree with it. You're probably not going to. But, yeah, and, and then when he listened to it and he, and he wrote back, well, we definitely have different perspectives on things and different interpretations. That's not the way I've seen it. And I, and I wrote back, well, it, you know, it, it is my story. Yeah, I guess it really helped me because I I really wanted that person to know from my point of view what my life was, mm. um, and it, it feels really good to you know have that yeah have him listen to it and I, I I feel really good now that it's out there and you know I, I wouldn't change anything that I put in there I, I'm really happy with everything that I put in there. Um, well, yeah, you, and she keeps getting stopped in the street. Like the other day, she was walking Ollie in the park. No, I was not walking Ollie in the park. I was out the front of my house, and <laughs> the dog just chased this other dog because he's ha super Mr. Happy Tail, wants to chase every dog. And he went up to this other dog he was playing with, and I'm like, Ollie, come here, buddy. And the lady looked at me, and she's like, and I'm like, Ollie. <laughs> and she looked at me again. She goes, I know that voice. You're on that podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I've done a podcast recently. She's your rocket. This is Ollie. Oh no! <laughs> she was like all excited and stuff. It was like, oh my god, you'd think I'm a rock star or something. She's like, oh, I can't wait to go home and tell my flatmate that I've actually met the real rocket. Oh. <laughs> it was really funny. You're proper. You're proper pod famous rocket. Yeah. It's great. Um, earbuds. I call them my earbuds. Well, you've got a whole lot of other earbuds here in the chat. So everyone's like pouring out the thanks to you and to Yo and how much they've loved this session and loved hearing the two of you talk about making this project. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your stories today. Um, it's been a really real privilege being a part of this. Can we yeah. thank everyone for being mm -hmm. in this session, for listening yeah, thanks, to the guys. podcast. And Follow me on Twitter, Renee Rocket. <laughs> and also, you know, every single review um, on the podcast helps. So if you do know people who want to listen, share it, um, yeah, we're really super grateful. Get it wherever you get your podcast from. You've just heard Johanna Bell and Rocket Bretherton from Bird's Eye View going under the hood on collaboration. If you liked this episode, I reckon you'll enjoy Radio and Beyond a session from 2017 where producer Gina McEwen shares her audio work and how she went about crafting it. Find us on social media at AudioCraftFest and sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au to keep in touch. Until next time. <laughs>